This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 170. Today's episode is all about how to be smarter with your time. I actually just more kind of create a rule of activities, a list rather of activities in my everyday life that I'm trying to do less of because they're stressful or unproductive activities or activities that get in the way of other activities. And I just keep that list by my computer. And every time I find myself, because most of mine are like technology related, like doom scrolling or Instagram or something. I don't know. I'm always, I do find myself in that time trap of wasting time on mindless technology use. And so I put that list by my computer. And every time I am engaging in one of those activities during the workday while I'm trying to get other things done, I ask myself, why am I engaging in this? Do I really want to be engaging in this? Is there something else I could be doing? Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends. First of all, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you're always updated about new episodes. Plus, you want to know basically the best way to give back to your favorite podcasts? Actually, go to the iTunes app and leave a five-star review. Reviews are scientifically proven to make me love you more. That's just how it is. I love you when you leave me a review. You sit in my heart for days at a time. No, but seriously, they really help the growth of the show. They're probably the number one thing that you can do besides supporting my sponsors or joining the membership. So it's an easy, free way to give back to a podcast you love. And if you do leave me a review, send it to me at mindlovemelissa on Instagram, and I'll send you a free meditation track. Today, I'm going to read a review from Maria Isabella. She said, I just can't get enough of this podcast. The conversations on here are so interesting and insightful and leave me with so much food for thought about how to have a better life and how to have more mindfulness in my life and relationships. Thanks for creating this modern mindfulness space and for such a great podcast. Well, thank you, Maria, for lighting up my life this week. There just never seems to be enough time. I think every person I know shares that sentiment. But why is that? We all have the same amount of time in a day. So are we all just terrible at managing expectations for what can get done during the time we're given? Or are we all just terrible at making use of that time? Well, I'm gonna start with some fascinating facts because I just can't help myself. Up to 80% of the average working day is spent on activities with little or no value. Business owners waste up to a third of their week through low-value activities. Think about that. If you own a business and you are better at managing your time, you could potentially grow your business 33% faster, which means instead of taking three years to get to your goal, you could get there in two. If you spend 10 to 12 minutes planning your day, you'll save up to two hours of time that would have otherwise gone to waste. 46% of stress reported amongst employees in the U.S. is caused by an overwhelming workload. 
Now think about that one. We've already identified that 80% of the average workday is on low-value tasks. If this weren't the case, maybe the workload wouldn't feel so overwhelming. Well, now let's talk about personal activities. According to Clockify, the average American spends eight years and four months watching TV. Seven years trying to fall asleep. Six years on social media. Wait, eight and a half years of watching TV? Gross. <laughs> a few things come to mind. First, I get it. After a long day of working or cleaning or taking care of the kids, you just want to sink into the couch and get lost in Hulu, right? Is it that we don't have time or is it that we don't have the energy? Well, here's what I've learned. A lot of times we waste that energy on dumb stuff like being disorganized or not knowing where to start or doubting ourselves. Or we let other people suck our energy by being a slave to email or scrolling through everyone else's feelings and opinions on social. When I am diligent with the hours in my day and I take the time to plan and time block, I have way more energy at the end of the day than when I do when I spend half the day getting distracted or taking breaks. And I think a lot of that is just mental exhaustion from feeling like I'm failing. Have you ever heard the saying, if you want something done, ask the busiest person you know? There is so much truth to that. I've also heard things like, we all have the same amount of time in the day as Oprah. I have mixed feels about that one though. If I had the same team that Oprah has, you could watch me dominate life as well. Well, anyways, now I'm just making excuses. But managing our time poorly has more consequences than just not getting as much stuff done. Time poor people experience less joy each day, they laugh less, they're less healthy, less productive, and more likely to divorce. In one study, time stress produced a stronger negative effect on happiness than unemployment. So what do we do about it? How do we reclaim our time to reduce stress and live a happier, more fulfilled life? Well, that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Ashley Willens, the author of Time Smart, How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life. She's also an assistant professor at Harvard Business School and a leading scholar in the time and happiness research field. She earned her PhD in social psychology. She was named Rising Star of Behavioral Science twice. She's part of the Global Happiness Council and the Workplace and Wellbeing Initiative at Harvard University. And she advises on workplace and well-being strategies for tons of nonprofits and for nonprofit partners. So basically, she's a total badass who has definitely used her time wisely. So three key things we will learn are some of the biggest traps that are stealing our time and making us time poor, how we can analyze our time to find more of it, and how to build smart routines to make this all a way of life. But before we dive in, I want to send you a little love that will surely be the best use of your time each morning. Just sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational messages right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start their day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. It's kind of like your own personal inspiration oracle. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. 
And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power list to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Ashley Willens to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So I know you study behavioral science, but I'm curious, what spurred your interest in time management specifically? So I had been doing a lot of research as an undergraduate and later as a graduate student, looking at how we don't always spend money in a way that's most likely to promote happiness. So one very concrete example is we often don't spend enough helping others, even though donating $5 or $20 to help someone on need has really powerful mood benefits. And so I became really interested in trying to understand whether we make similar errors with regard to how we spend our time. And sure enough, uh, in my data, I have found that we're not always making optimal decisions when it comes to our time and happiness. I mean, I can tell you that's 100% for sure with me, especially since I downloaded TikTok on my phone. (laughs) But why is it that we all suck so bad at time management? Uh, There's there's so many reasons, um, and I'm happy to walk through a few of them. I think we have to be nice to ourselves. Time is really challenging. So we don't always spend our money in ways that are likely to promote happiness, but money as a resource is much easier to keep track of, account for, and accumulate across time. You can't accumulate time across uh, the days of your lives, and time easily goes missing. We don't actually really even notice wasted opportunities of free time until we start talking about losing 10 or 12 months on a project. Then we start feeling really miserable about it. And so um, there are a lot of psychological factors that lead us to kind of almost forget or not pay attention to that goes missing on an everyday basis. And then of course, as per your example, there's a lot of social forces that lead us to feel time poor and that distract our time and steal our time away from us. Technology is one of these factors. So I talk a lot about this and people ask me a lot about this, but technology is one of the leading factors that creates these feelings of time poverty or this feeling of having too many things to do and not enough time to do it because it fragments your leisure into a whole bunch of small units of time that then feel rushed. And also technology reminds you of other things you could or should be doing. So we are in part not great at time management, but it's because there's so many forces that are leading us to feel time poor. Our workplaces make us respond at all hours. Our technology facilitates that and pulls our attention away during leisure. And we don't often account for our time. uh, And it's more difficult to account for our time as carefully as we account for our finances. But luckily, by starting to understand all the factors that make us time for poor, that make time difficult to track, we can all start becoming more mindful and take more control over our time. So I'm one of those people who avoids the scary things. Like when my finances used to be really bad, I only really knew enough not to overdraft my bank account. (laughs) And the same goes for with time tracking though. I still tread really lightly. So I have a system where I use this app called Serene where I'm able to use time blocks. And it is so helpful because I'll set a time block multiple throughout the day and then press start. And it'll basically set a focus timer for like 30 minute increments. 
But there's other more robust tools that I'm very hesitant to use, like the ones that automatically track my time because I don't really want to see it. Like I getting that screen time notification from my iPhone every Sunday is like my tiny version of hell. But I know that one of the steps that you recommend is to really calculate the time cost of daily decisions. So I'm curious, what's your process for doing that? And why is it so important? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that we should all, we all will have a different approach. It's sort of like fitness and exercise. You know, when we're trying to live a time first mindset, we're really trying to shift our habits and that can be really difficult and pretty scary. You know, um, even it's kind of similar if you start really tracking and paying attention to what you're eating, you're like, oh, that's not what I wanted to see. Similar with time, it can be like, oh, I really spend that much time on Instagram. Of course I do. Oh no, but you don't want to get your into too much of a death spiral over the over um, some of the traps that get in the way of, of time affluence. So I actually don't advocate for very strong, heavy-handed interventions in my book and in my research, in part because I worry that that will create this fatalistic thinking that just makes us give up on the enterprise altogether instead of you know continuing to take small forward steps in the right direction. I wrote a case recently on uh, WW International, formerly Weight Watchers, and I was chatting with the CEO, Mindy Grossman, and we were talking about my book and also the case. And she said, it's about progress. not." And I think that idea from weight loss also translates to time. So I actually am not, although I do advocate for tracking, um, sometimes we can get carried away with tracking and then we become overly sensitive to small losses of free time, really overly worried about efficiency, which, which can come at its own cost for our enjoyment and our leisure satisfaction. So I actually just more kind of create a rule of activities, a set of lists, a list rather of activities in my everyday life that I'm trying to do less of because they're stressful or unproductive activities or activities that get in the way of other activities. And I just keep that list by my computer. And every time I find myself, because most of mine are like technology related, like doom scrolling or Instagram <laughs> or something. I don't know. I'm always, I do find myself in that time trap of wasting time on mindless technology use. And so I put that list by my computer. Well, the three activities that I am trying to be more mindful about are Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, news scrolling. And every time I am engaging in one of those activities during the workday while I'm trying to get other things done, I ask myself, why am I engaging in this? Do I really want to be engaging in this? Is there something else I could be doing? And so instead of sort of like forcing myself to not do those things, which I know I'm ultimately going to do anyway, I'm, I'm more cultivating an awareness of when I do it, what I'm looking for when I gravitate toward those activities, and then almost like a careful reminder, uh, a kind of nice self-questioning, can I just do something doing that right now. Um, and so that's what I do. I don't actually try to hold myself accountable to a certain amount of hours and don't carefully track the way that I'm spending time on an hour to hour basis, but instead just really kind of deeply introspect quickly during the day of when I'm engaging in those activities. Is that really what I want to be doing? Is it what I should be doing? And if the answer is no to either of those two questions, I try to switch gears and do something else. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? 
And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I love that because I find that that's the thing with me too, is we end up getting caught in some of these tools and using them really mindlessly when they do have the power to be really helpful. I mean, for what I do and probably for what you do, social media is a big part of that, uh, but it's also a big trap. And so I'm, I'd love to know if you could give us an example on how you really, what does it look like for you when you're using that intention or you're like, okay, what am I looking for out of this? Are you just specifically writing down like maybe the tasks you're going to do for Instagram? Does that never include looking at other people's stuff? Like how do you approach that? Yeah. So I have an exercise in the book that I talk a little bit about related to this idea of a substitution list. So I ask myself, well, why am I doing this? If it is truly to gain ideas from other people's Instagram, great. Cause you're right. I mean, social media is part of what I do. It's part of what you do. It's a way that all of us communicate with people that we care about. It's not inherently bad. It can just get in the way of other things if we let it. And so if I am like, oh, well, I'm actually just trying to source inspiration for my next post. 
cool, do it. If I find myself starting to compare or judge or engage in some evaluative process that's not productive, I go, hold on a minute. Um, I'm trying to seek validation or I'm trying to, I'm feeling anxious about my next upcoming post. If I'm feeling anxious or I'm trying to get validation, maybe I could reach out to a friend and have a conversation to distract me or do something positive, take a break from what I'm doing and come back to it. And that's really where this idea comes from in terms of the substitution list. Often we gravitate toward these habits that are somewhat mindless, like scrolling on social media when we're feeling anxious or uncertain or looking for something, looking for proof or connection. And so in those moments, when it's actually technology is not the end goal, but it's a means to a different end, that's when you can kind of catch yourself and say, well, if I'm actually looking for social connection, maybe I should go talk to my partner who's been in the living room waiting for me to finish up work (laughs) for the day. Or maybe I can text a friend instead. Or if I'm feeling anxious in in light of an upcoming meeting, and so I'm scrolling on social media probably to feel a little bit better, but also create more anxiety, maybe I should stop and do a five-minute headspace video uh, audio tape instead right so i think that i totally to your point is well taken social media technology is a, a tool that is on net positive helps us get our work done more efficiently but it can take away experiences from us and get in the way of us enacting our broader goals in life if we let it so it's really important to make sure that we're using it as a tool to get to our goals and it's not coming in conflict with them I have totally found myself, especially through the chaos of 2020, being like on social media just as distraction from all the things that I don't want to deal with in my own feeling space. So I like that idea of being like, what am I craving here? Like, what void is this filling for me right now since it's not what I actually want to be doing? And how can I find a more positive or productive or life-fulfilling way to actually fill that? But the other thing I find myself doing is I will go to the doom scrolling when I am avoiding a task that I need to do that feels more tedious. And that's what I'm still working with. Like, I feel like what is helpful for me is to set a short time limit, like say it's a writing task. That's what I tend to avoid the most. I'll be like, okay, I'll write for only 20 minutes. And if nothing comes out during that time, that's fine. But at least I put away everything else to only dedicate to this. And if I don't get any creative inspiration, that is okay. Be okay with that. But at least I dedicated the time. And that's been really helpful for me. But I'm wondering, do you have any other tips for when you realize that you're avoiding that hard thing that's coming up next? Yeah. And so this is a great example of one of the traps I talk about in my writing of the mere urgency effect. So especially when we're feeling overwhelmed by the tasks on our plate, or there's something that we're procrastinating, against that's one of these important but not necessarily urgent tasks, we actually gravitate toward tasks that are simpler and easier to accomplish to give ourselves that feeling of competence in the moment. So this is why our inbox goes to zero when we have a example, because we're like, well, I'll just check this email. It gives you this boost of competence. And in the moment, it feels good, but it's coming at the cost rather of this longer term goal that you have, uh, which is to get your writing assignment done. So one of my colleagues at UCLA, Julianne Schroeder and her student just published a paper, I think last week or a couple of weeks ago, which I really loved, which is uh, a strategy that might help all of us sort of overcome our procrastination is to 
what they call eat the frog first. So if you have something that's not so great on your agenda, try to block off time and get to it at the very beginning of your day so that you're not anxiously thinking about it all day and maybe trying to distract yourself, which actually leads to more work and not less, or you saying yes to something that maybe you shouldn't, or you taking on an additional meeting to avoid and continue to procrastinate against this task. So I would say that the research suggests this is totally normal and we're much more likely to do it when we're already feeling busy. We take on these low level tasks, even cleaning our house. This is why people bake when they're in final exams because <laughs> they're deferring studying for their final and trying to do something positive that makes them feel good in the interim. And so just recognize that mere urgency effect and then try to exactly as you say, block off a specific period of time where you're just going to work on that. We're going to use a, a, a technology tool like Serene or something else that it's going to turn off your distractions for you. So you can't be tempted to do the easier thing that's more satisfying and really block that time in your calendar, put your head down, focus. And once you get into it, at least for me, I find as soon as I'm into that harder task, it's totally fine because you just become immersed in whatever you're doing. But it's really just trying to get yourself to switch into that task in the first place. So that's why it can be helpful to do it the very first thing of the day. I don't know if there's any science that backs this up, but I actually try to either put the hard thing open on my desk the night before. So when I come to my desk, it's the first thing I see and I'm like, oh, I need to start working on this. And or I also um, put the hard thing on my calendar very first thing when my coffee hasn't quite kicked in. So I can't even, you know, worry too much about whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing. I'm like, oh, I got to work on this paper or whatever. And I just start kind of mindlessly typing while waiting for caffeine to kick in. So I think whatever kind of small strategy works for you, but definitely try to carve out time, know exactly when you're going to get it done and, and don't let technology distract you during that time. I think there is science behind that. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is I remember reading things about how to be a better writer or to stop procrastinating on your writing. I think that's the number one thing people tend to procrastinate on or something along those lines. Don't quote that stat. But this person, I wish I could remember who it was, was basically saying, that when you're writing and you stop, a lot of people want to like finish their thought, but they actually recommended to stop like mid paragraph or even mid sentence or mid thought. And then that way, when you started the next day, you were excited to complete that thought instead of tidying things up in a neat little bow and then coming back to like nothing, no prompts to start with. So I've thought about that with different things. And for me, reducing that friction for that task is huge. Like my husband and I just moved to the mountains and now we each have our own office. But back in LA, we shared an office. So we'd alternate days. And I swear it was another little version of hell for me because it would be my day and all my computer stuff would be like still in my bag or something like that. And I'd end up procrastinating setting up my stuff. And then half of the day would be gone. And so now that I'm here, it's funny, I keep everything open just like you. And I have moved my day around to where that hardest task is sometimes at like 630 in the morning. And I have been so productive the last few weeks. Whereas before I was like doing my morning routine, like people suggest and working out because people are like, work out first thing in the morning. And then I started realizing, well, the morning routine is easy for me. I, I can always find an excuse to meditate or have time for myself. I have always worked out regularly, so those aren't the hard things. So that's not the thing I really need to set myself up for. I have to 
create an environment that really moves me towards the thing that I'm procrastinating, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. I think it definitely shows and is uh, something that's emblematic of my research too, is that it's really about knowing yourself. There's really no one size fits all solution. For some people, the work is something that they're kind of glued to and the exercise and the meditation is something that they need to be more deliberate around. Um, and so this is all going to look different for every person, but I love the idea of creating these rituals around work that help you get immersed into the task. So I'm very similar. I can get easily distracted by my morning routine. I could go for a jog for like an hour and a half and then not feel like doing anything that day. And so, or nature walk or reading or whatever, I'm easily distracted. So I also try to get I kind of set a prioritization list. I'm like, this is the one task I have to complete today. I cannot really say that the day is over until this one or maybe two tasks on an ambitious day are done. And I do that first and then schedule the rest of my day, workout, meetings, hangout time with my fiance, all happens later. But of course, the kind of timing and cadence of all this will differ depending on who you are and what you struggle with uh, in terms of goal completion. And it feels so good, I have to say, whereas where I'm like, okay, I definitely have time to do this and I start doing other stuff and I might feel that little dopamine hit because I accomplished something easy. But when I finish that one task that I'm like, this task is the thing that will make this day successful and it's like 9 a.m., I feel like a total boss going through the rest of my day. You know what I mean? And, and then I tend to be even more productive because I'm like keeping the momentum going. But I'm wondering, we've talked about different things that are stealing our time, like technology or this urgency idea. Another thing you talk about is the wealth paradox. What is that and how does it steal our time? Yeah. So, I mean, I work at a business school and this was something I kind of heard before I worked in a business school, but as a parent everywhere now in all my classes and in a lot of my conversations is that a lot of us engage in this sort of if-then thinking in a lot of domains in our life related or from my lens in relation to money. So we say, as soon as I get this promotion, as soon as I start making this much money, then I'll focus on leisure and hobbies and social relationships. And I talk about how the fact that this wealth paradox is a bit of a, is a, bit of a trap um, now, one is because research suggests that as we get wealthier, we don't necessarily gain the same amount of happiness as once we hit having enough basic, uh, having enough money to meet our basic needs and a bit of money to save and make major purchases. So in the U.S., uh, the best data from 2018 suggests that life satisfaction sort of levels off around about $100,000 of income per year. And if anything, after that, the amount of happiness or the amount of money rather that you make actually is associated with slight decreases in happiness because you start comparing yourself to people who have even more money than you do. So this is why chasing wealth for the sake of having a better life later and making your happiness contingent on reaching a certain financial goal is a trap because once we actually achieve that goal, our reference points change and we start comparing ourselves to people who have even more money than we do. So it's dangerous, I think, to kind of defer our happiness into a hypothetical future that unfortunately, somewhat depressingly might not come. No one knows what tomorrow will bring. And also this focus on money and financial success 
psychologically leads us to become even more focused on money and financial success. And as we start to make more money, our expenses also go up. So we might need to feel like to remain consistent in our lifestyle. And so all these factors together mean that as your wealth goes up, you might also be more stressed out at work and have even less time for leisure than you did when you had a lower paying job or were earlier on in your career. So we really need to break out of, I think in my data and from talking to my students and my colleagues, break out of this thinking that once I hit this number or get this job, then I can start focusing on other things that matter because the future is unpredictable and our reference points will change. So we all need to be thinking today in this moment, what are ways that I can spend you know, in 30 or one hour increments to focus on other goals in my life that are not related to economic productivity. That's such a good point. I was actually just interviewing a wealth advisor named Barbara Hewson that was talking about how she's worked with people that are just starting a business to people that are like multi, multi millionaires. And it's funny that some people, even that anyone else would assume is very wealthy, she says that wealth isn't really about the money. It's about that mindset because she'll talk to people and it's like, well, yeah, I'm not that wealthy. Well, when when do you feel like you'd be wealthy? And the person was like, well, I don't have a private jet yet. <laughs> and then somebody else like wants a bigger private jet. And it's just like your mind gets so distorted because we just we don't even realize sometimes that we've leveled up in a certain area until we really take the time to like integrate that into how we're feeling. And so if we're constantly chasing that next thing, we almost become addicted to that chase and to that feeling of lack or where between where we are and what our goal is. And most people, once they reach a goal, they set another one. And so they're still just feeling the lack of where they need to get. And so I have been also guilty of like, okay, yeah, at the, my next level, then I'll start making more time. But what I've realized, I think maybe that's one of the blessings of the chaos of this last year is just what's really important to me now. And what do I actually, what am I able to do? And when I'm able to gather with people, how does that feed me? And so now I'm, I'm like scheduling in just zoom calls with people that I know from across the country. And, and when I'm able to meet up with somebody, it's like, I will rearrange my entire schedule to do that. You know what I mean? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. 
And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back. No questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting that Barbara was also talking about this money as mindset being the most important factor. Some of my colleagues have studied some of the wealthiest people in the world, and they ask them simple questions like, how much more money would you need to be happier? And these are the world's wealthiest people. And the answer is not zero. It's usually like several millions of dollars more, or in this example, several more private jets, not one private jet now, but another one. <laughs> and, and, and it seems crazy, but I think you're totally right that, you know, we just don't even realize that our reference points have changed that, you know, we, we do, especially in the U.S., we are so focused on financial success as the metric by which we define our lives. And part of why I wrote this book and what I hope to do in my program of research is to legitimize leisure, to legitimize the other facets of life that make volunteering, civic engagement, socializing, travel, having interesting hobbies, reading great books, taking time. And I think we really need to do more to to legitimize and have conversations uh, at work or within the professional context about other things in our lives that matter to us. And I have noticed in my data consistent with what you're saying is 2020, this has been an insane year, so difficult and so stressful on so many levels. And what we've been observing in our data is people are fundamentally checking in with themselves about what truly matters. We've seen in our data with graduating college students a 20 to 30% shift in what students value over a nine month period of time, which is a lot in our data. Students are saying, I don't care about chasing money anymore. I need to do something that makes a difference, that contributes to my communities, that helps address really important societal challenges that I see in the world. I need to get my hands dirty and do something that I care about that's going to make a difference. And I've honestly felt this way as well. I think the the silver lining we should all be taking from this year is 
2020 has helped reaffirm what truly matters in our lives and what we should get rid of the expectations that are unrealistic or unsatisfying. We almost don't have time or emotional bandwidth to handle things that are not essential right now. And I really hope that some of that thinking can be carried forward when things start to slowly resume back into whatever new normal takes. Right. It's it's like, it reminds me of how many people come to that realization when they have a, a major health scare or suddenly they're giving, given a time frame for the rest of their life. And that's when I've interviewed people that did think they were going to die in one way or another, or, you know, or their child was diagnosed with cancer or their mom was, and all of a sudden they've shifted these priorities. And on some level, we are all having a collective giant health scare and realizing, oh yeah, we don't have endless amounts of time. Time is limited. Life is precious. Now, what do we do with that? And so we've talked about some of the things that are stealing our time. How many, how do we go about finding more time in our day-to-day life? Because I think so many times, so many of us get in these habits, these rituals. It's like, this is just what my day is. I I never have enough time. And we just become used to saying, I don't have time for that, or there's not time for that. And now that we are shifting our priorities and realizing I need to make time for this, where do we start to look or how can we start to look at our day in a new way to see where maybe we're misusing so that we can carve out time for what's really important? Yeah, this is such a great and fundamental question. Before I answer it, I do want to say that what you're talking about related to near-death experiences is something we've actually done some empirical research on as well and show exactly this. People have had a near-death experience, particularly when they've experienced that event with others, like a car report greater purpose in life and greater connection to social relationships. So it's very, the experiences that we're having are very consistent with what I see in my data and what the research would say. And so I do really think that we should all acknowledge and hopefully be able to positively capitalize on the opportunity to reimagine what our daily lives can look like in a way that makes them more consistent with our values and broader goals in life. And so along these lines of finding time, I talk both practically and at a high level in my book around how we can help ourselves really follow through and live our days the way that we would live our last day, if you will. Like how we live our days end up accumulating to be how we live our entire lives. So how can we live each day with more intentionality and make every day closer to what our ideal day would be like? And I think very practically, we need to be thinking about What activities bring us joy on an everyday basis? What brings us purpose and meaning? And what brings us stress and not stress that's productive, unproductive stress? And then think about maximizing positive experiences and minimizing the negative. And stated in a different way, we need to be conducting a time audit. Again, maybe not cataloging how we're spending every minute of our time, but when we're thinking at a high level, how did I spend my morning yesterday? my afternoon, my evening. And if I had to really classify what each of those activities were, where would I put them? What Were they meaningful activities? Were they these that weren't very meaningful, like vegging out on the couch? 
were they unpleasant and stressful activities like cleanings or doing something you really don't like doing at work? Were they stressful but productive, like working toward a personally important or professionally important goal? Writing a research report might feel stressful, but we know it's helping us advance our broader goals in life. And then we need to be kind of enacting structures in our life, engaging in strategies that help us to minimize the negative and maximize the positive. Some strategies to minimize the negative are, of course, outsourcing, delegating, saying no. We need to get quite disciplined about protecting our time so that we have enough of it to spend in these more meaningful and satisfying activities. But I think this conversation around reflecting on our purpose in life and really thinking about what time means to us and why it matters can help us follow through on a daily basis and stand up for ourselves when it comes to time when the day-to-day gets busy and we just start taking it for granted that we're always gonna be overwhelmed and there's nothing we can do, I think that's when we should take a step back and reflect on our big why. Why does time matter to us? For me, and I I write about this in, um, in some of my articles, and have been kind of forthright about this. Both two of my cousins um, had a genetic disorder, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, and I saw them both paths away before they were 30 years of age, which is a pretty shockingly young number. And we're a small family. They were my cousins. They're a couple years older than me. And this to me is something that I think about myself in that thought when I feel overwhelmed by my life and feel like I can't get out of this busyness trap I found myself in. I think about them, I have a tattoo of their initials on my wrist and I try to center myself and say, is this really worth the stress? Does this really matter? At the end of the day, is this something that is helping me live my true goals and purpose in life? Or is it some of that noise that we can sometimes get distracted by? And more often than not, it's noise related to a paper deadline or a talk deadline, something that's going to feel really urgent in the moment, but at the end of the day, isn't going to matter a lot. And that helps me make sure that I'm allocating time to activities that are things that really make up the fabric of my life that's important that I really want to be left with at the end of the day and kind of filtering out some of the noise of everyday busyness. Well, another thing that tends to come up where it's a balance of something that is very important, but also a time suck is say you are, you have children or maybe you're a caretaker for somebody. And so your life revolves around these things that might be constantly unexpected, or it's much harder to build like a time smart routine into your life. I'm about to be a mom as of February. So I'm like just bracing myself for this. But what what do you say to people that are dealing with that? Where it's like, of course, I'm going to prioritize my kid. I'm not going to be like, no, go stay in the corner till mommy's done with this. <laughs> but like, how do you start to make sure that you're still managing your time in a smart way? Yeah, I think that, you know, one strategy in my book is this idea of reframing time. So what I've been observing in my data is during this forced experiment and working from home, Remote workers are feeling increasingly distracted. They feel unproductive. They feel stressed because they're trying to both parent or a caregiver and an employee simultaneously. And it's like, ah, I can't just can't do any of these activities in the way that I want to be doing right now. Um, And I think this is where self-compassion and reframing those distractions can be really helpful. So where time poverty comes from is this 
psychologically is this feeling of goal conflict between different activities or parts of your life, like trying to parent while also simultaneously be a working professional, working out of the same space, or, you know, and feeling like you can't do both of those activities simultaneously. And it's true. We can't. We we are limited as human beings. We can't be doing two things in a, an excellent manner at the same time. But I do think we can be nicer to ourselves and also start seeing these kinds of experiences as what they are. They're consistent with your higher level goals. They're something that's a really positive experience in the long run that is really in and of itself the meaning of life, right? Like this is like giving back life in your life is something that's really positive. There's a lot of empirical literature suggesting that reframing drudge work at work, for example, just by thinking about tasks as waste work done can help you feel less stressed about it. Because instead of you thinking about the negative task that it is, you think about the bigger picture, how it's helping your colleagues get work done and your company efficiently function. Thinking about an upcoming weekend like a vacation can help you enjoy it more and be less distracted by your technology. And so there's something in this idea of, you know, while you're trying to parent and work at the same time, as thinking about the bigger picture in that experience. It's not always going to be possible. Of course, uh, warm the negative emotions are totally normal and part of life. But I think the less that we try to compartmentalize or separate these different activities as being different parts of ourselves, and the more that we integrate these activities as being part of our lives and don't necessarily see them as distractions, but rather a feature of our life at the time, this can go a long way in reducing some of the stress of feeling like you're trying to do 18 things at one time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I have been noticing, like, I need something to look forward to because if it's just time blocking or just, I don't know, there's just so much and so little going on right now. I feel like where it's like, I was just talking to someone about how over the past, like nine months or so, Each day feels so long, like it takes a year. But at the same time, when I'm looking back, like when March started and lockdowns began, it also feels like no time has passed at all because a lot of us aren't making new memories. And so I've been trying to create these little things, like maybe it's going and finding a new picnic spot with my husband, like on Saturday or or creating these just little mini rituals or fun things to do on the weekends so that then I'm like, well okay, I just need to get this huge block of things done and and it'll feel so good to go into that thing fun that I planned with a clean slate or how good is it going to feel when this is behind me instead of thinking, how hard is this about to be? I don't want to start like just shifting to the end point or the finish line of what I'm doing. But another thing that comes up is that a lot of us get really motivated to make these big changes in our lives. And then it's just a habit or it's just a a new shiny thing instead of becoming a habit. Do you have any tips for ensuring that this is a real change that we're making instead of just, you know, the next book that we're reading and implementing for a few weeks and then moving on and going back to our old habits? Yeah, I think... Research would suggest you want to make your commitments in public and have other people hold you accountable to them. Try to make the activity fun and enjoyable, like what you're saying. If you really try to live the benefit of 
treating every weekend like a vacation, get your partner involved, do make it fun, try to get your family involved. I think the extent to which you involve others in trying to accomplish personally important goals can go a long way in making it feel less hard and more fulfilling. So that would be my kind of first piece of advice. And my second piece of advice, again, is really related to an earlier point in the conversation. We don't want to beat ourselves up too much for any decision that we make on a particular day. Um, but really we need to be trying to move the needle on the goal. If it's to read 50 more books this year, upcoming that we did last year, we need to take that goal one page at a time. So we often get into this trap and I see it with time and money related concepts too. We're like, I'm stressed. I need to quit my job. Well, even if you quit your job and find a new one, probably within six months, you're going to be dealing with the same kind of self-created stress that made you quit your job in the first place. So instead of kind of going to this big picture thinking, I need to quit my job, quit my relationship, move, do something drastic, I think we should ask ourselves again, why do I feel compelled to make this big decision? Oh, well, actually, I just am feeling frustrated with my day to day. Well, what exactly am I feeling frustrated about? Oh, well, I haven't been exercising. Okay. Can you walk around your block for half an hour that day? Could you do 50 jumping jacks in your office, even between meetings? So I think, again, trying to keep your big picture goals in mind and then breaking them down into really small, actionable units that you try and maybe sometimes fail to follow through with every single day is really important. Not every day you're going to be able to accomplish all your goals also. Um, so that's also something to keep in mind. And then trying to attach or tie personally important goals to natural parts of your day. We all have to eat. Maybe you could listen to a podcast during breakfast if you're trying to listen to more podcasts. Maybe you could tie your lunch break to reading a few pages of uh, your most recent book. And maybe you could have a ritual at the end of the day to close your computer and then engage in physical activity since you're then pairing the end of your day with another fitness goal naturally transitioning from work to personal. I think those are all strategies, active public commitments and tying important goals to parts of your life that you have to do anyway, that can go a long way in helping us change our behavior and maintain that change day over day. Yes. I think it's James Clear talks about habit stacking in Atomic Habits. And and so he gives the example of like, if you're trying to do more push-ups, set a goal to do push-ups right before or right after you brush your teeth or something like that because the brushing your teeth is already a habit so you don't really have to think about it and then that becomes your trigger for doing the other thing so my husband likes to he does calf raises every time he makes his smoothie <laughs> and so every time I look over at him and he's got that little like ninja blender that he's holding down he's sitting there doing calf raises and it's just it's become like a part of my day, just watching him do that. And for me, I've now, like I said, I've moved working out to the middle of the day and it's kind of perfect because I get a bunch done in the morning and then right around lunchtime, I don't want to work out after I eat. So my lunchtime when like getting hungry is my trigger where I'm like, okay, now I'm going to do my workout. It gives me a little bit of extra energy. I get a reward afterwards for eating plus this break. And then I'm like reinvigorated for the rest of my day. So I love those tips and I feel like this was such an actionable episode. So thank you so much for bringing your wisdom and your research to the show today. And for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your book, where is the best place for them to connect with you online? Yeah, so you can 
uh, check out my research on my faculty page. I'm an assistant professor at the Harvard Business School. Social media, I'll try not to instantaneously respond after this conversation. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. All of the links from this episode are at mindlove.com slash 170. So your challenge for this week is not to be just a total badass with your time. I realize that can be a daunting task. It's to start with the list of what you would like to do less of and create routines or structures in your life that help you to be more mindful in these areas. So for example, I notice that some of the apps that suck my time are Facebook TikTok. (laughs) I'm so embarrassed that I'm on TikTok, but gosh, it's so addicting and I love it. But I deleted it from my phone because it wasn't really serving me. I deleted Facebook from my phone. I use an app called Forest, which is a focus timer on my phone. It's an app, but what it does is that it actually plants a tree. And when I exit out of the app to go mindlessly go to another app, it'll say, are you sure you want to kill this tree? And no, I don't want to kill the tree. So I end up staying in it. It keeps me from mindlessly going through random apps on my phone. And as a bonus, it actually plants trees in the real world based on how many points you accumulate. And no, they have not sponsored this podcast yet forest people get a hold of me. (laughs) But I love that app. I also have Newsfeed Eradicator as an extension on my browser so that I don't see news feeds when I go to Facebook to post for my business. I am using an app called Serenity, which is another focus timer for my Mac, which lets me schedule out time blocks through my day and then it'll actually block different websites or my email when I am currently in a focus time. So I have used technology to really help myself be more mindful with my time, but there are plenty of things that work for other people that don't work for me. Like when I am too diligent and I'm going by the minute, it works for a short period of time, but it eventually becomes too stressful. So figure out what works for you, gather some inspiration from other people, maybe just start with that list of what you don't want to be doing and put in place some things that'll help you not do those as much. And let me know how it goes. If you have another resource or tool that you love that I did not mention here, please share it with me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. You can just send me a direct message. I would love to compile some of these and share them with the community. So let me know what works for you. If you love this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or take a screenshot and tag me at mindlovemelissa. Also, we have twice the episodes with a Mindlove Premium subscription at mindlove.com premium. You also get meditations and other bonuses. And as always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.